This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I was reading in the Psalms one day, and I found a good fishing hole. I found, the, I found a good spot. And as I was thinking about that and digging a little deeper, the Lord impressed upon me to spend some time right here, and that's why I'm calling it an autumn breeze in the Psalms. We have been accelerated in some other things, but now I want us to slow down and just be refreshed in the Word. And so this is not an evangelistic series by any means, but I believe there are some truths, practical applications that we can draw from in these particular series, six sermons, and I pray that it will be a blessing to your heart. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn with me, if you will, please, to Psalms chapter 50. And this morning, I, I had asked Rhea to sing that song, and that's what I'm preaching on today, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And I pray that I'm going to be able to take God's Word and share some things with you that you are not familiar with. First and foremost, if there is somebody here today that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, I want to extend the gospel message to you, the invitation to you to trust him before you leave. It's the most important thing that you'll ever do with your life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Your soul is the most important thing that you have. So don't leave this church house today without doing business with Jesus if the Holy Spirit begins to work in convicting your heart. And then I pray that I will be able to share some things with you today that you never knew about the Bible. You say, well, preacher, I've been studying the Bible. I've been in church since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I've been in church all my life, and there's not much about this book that you can teach me because I, I use it, read it every day. Well, first, let me tell you this, that this Bible to me is new and fresh every morning. I learn something about this Bible every time I open its blessed pages. So don't ever feel that you've got to a place where you cannot learn. If you feel that way, then you have reached the place where your life will no longer be successful. You will be unproductive if you ever get to the place where you feel like you cannot learn. And so I pray this morning, and I believe I will be able to take the Bible and show you some things perhaps you've never known about God's Word. And I would be blessed, and you will be blessed if the Holy Spirit so leads. So we're going to be looking in Psalms chapter 50, and I am entitling this message, El Shaddai. So I want you to look with me in verses 1 through 6, if you will. Psalms chapter 51 through 6. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from rising, from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him. And it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens 
from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Selah. I want to share with you some things about the Bible today that you may not know. First of all, Psalms chapter 50 is a psalm of Aspa. I want you to think about that just for a moment because Aspa wrote 12 of the Psalms. Some of you here this morning may have never even heard of Asper. But it's important, and if you have your Bibles open and you want to write in the margin of your Bible, I would encourage you to do it because many people have no clue who this person is. Yet, he was a writer of Scripture. And I believe that we should try to be familiar with every, every person who was a writer of Scripture. God, through the Holy Spirit, used over 40 different people to write the Word of God. But I emphasize something. God is the author of the Scripture. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. But through inspiration, he spoke to over 40 different writers to pen down these blessed words. But something interesting about this writer of Scripture that some of you are hearing today for the very first time, I want you to know how significant he was in the pages of Scripture. Aspa was a very talented singer in the courts of David. In fact, probably the best way to describe the ministry of Aspa, he was sort of like the praise and worship leader of David. As Rhea does such a great job leading our praise and worship, this is what Aspa did. This was his ministry. He was a great encourager. But more than the praise and worship leader in the courts of David, I want you to understand the specific ministry that he had in the courts. He was in charge of leading the worship, the praise and worship around the Ark of the Covenant. Most of you this morning know a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. I definitely don't have time to preach on that today. But Aspa was the praise and worship leader in David's court, and his function, his duty was to lead this praise and worship around the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, I want you to see this passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verses 4, 5, and 7. They will get these scriptures here on the screen for you. It will save you some time if you'd like to turn. May the Lord bless you, and I hope you can find it. But here the scriptures are for you. Now, look at it as we think about what we have already said this morning. And he, that's talking about David, he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, and to record, notice now, and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. In verse 5, Aspa, the chief, 
and next to him, Zechariah, Jehiel, Shemaroth, Jehiel, Matthiah, and Elip, Beniah, Odadam, and Jehiel, with palstries. Now, let me, let me clarify something with you today. You come across a word like this, and some of you don't have no idea what that is. Because the palstries is different than the harp. And so most of you know what a harp is, and it's an instrument that has a single string to play each tone. But the psaltery, it has multiple strings. It's a 12-stringed instrument. And those 12 strings are utilized for a variety of tones. It was somewhat, and don't, don't get this confused, it's not a guitar, but it, it would symbolize one. And it had 12 strings on it. So the music that it produced was in replication of a harp, but they were two totally different instruments. And so with psalteries and with harps, so you need to know the difference in the two. But aspa made a sound with cymbals. And we thank God for Danny who plays on the drums and uses the cymbal. Psalms 150 speaks of that in the word. And in verse number seven, then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Aspa and his brethren. Now, you're learning something today about an individual in the word who actually wrote some of the word that you're learning about today for the very first time. Aspa, he would, he would declare as he would be the praise and worship leader in the courts of David, and he would, he would lead the people in praise and worship around, repetitiously around the Ark of the Covenant and he would declare the mighty works of God, and he would lead the singing, and he would lead the praise unto the Lord. Now, in the writings of this particular Psalms, in fact, throughout all the Psalms, you can start in chapter 1, you can go through the entire book, and when you study this carefully, you see the writers at times, they write with a great emphasis of joy. You can, you can just tell that they are excited and they are excelling in praise and worship and, and a heart of gratitude. And then in some places, we see them in the lowest places of their life. We see them on the mountains, and then we see them as they write. They're in the lowest valleys. We see them as they write with many celebrations, and then we see them writing with great laments. Some writers in the Psalms, they're writing and they're using great acts and words and declarations of faith, and then we see some of these writers who seem to be experiencing dark despair. That sounds like us sometimes. In, in our Christian life and in our journey with the Lord, and we understand, and I brought a little bit about this out in our Wednesday night Bible study, the Christian life, the Christian journey almost reminds us of a, 
of a roller coaster ride. Sometimes we're up and then we're down, and then we're up and then we're down. We're never consistent, which we ought to be, but that's just not the way we're wired. So many things affect us that causes us to have great emotions of praise, and in the blink of the eye, the devil can come along and kick the props out from under you, and you hit rock bottom. And when you read the Psalms, this is what you see. You see the writers up, and then you see the writers down. They are experiencing great joy, and then they're experiencing times of agony and defeat. But one of the many things about this particular book, and I love the Psalms, and probably one of the best things that I like about this book is that while we see the writers who are consistently up and down all over the place, we can see in this book, we can see our great and mighty God pursuing us not only is he pursuing us, but he's loving us at all costs. And not only is God loving us, but he's pursuing us. And here's the thing. No matter what we're doing in life and where we are in life, God is always, you can see this clearly in Psalms, God is always being faithful to us in many ways. The book of Psalms helps us to realign our human hearts back to the unconditional love in the times of our life where we get things so messed up. And let me ask you something. Have we not all perfected the way to mess things up? You stop and think about that. We may not know how to stay on the mountain long, <clears throat> but we know how to get in the valley real quick. This particular psalm has an air about it where you can almost sense a courtroom atmosphere. And as Aspa is writing Psalms 1 or Psalms 50, I can almost hear him say as he's taking up his pen and as we now know what his ministry was and as he's marching around the Ark of the Covenant and he's giving thanks and he's giving praise to God. He's encouraging the people to worship. I can almost hear him say, now as the congregation gets together and, and, the, and the house, the courts of the Lord are filling and people are singing and praising, I can almost hear him say, all rise. But this goes way deeper than the confinement of a courtroom feeling. It's really extending into all creation, and that's very important. And sitting at the Bema seat, sitting at the great seat as the judge is God himself. Now, there are two groups of people here that Aspa addresses. When you study this chapter in its entirety, you can see this. The righteous and the wicked. Now, I want us to look again how Aspa starts this particular psalm out. I want to reread for you verses 1 through 6 as you have a little background now. The mighty God. Now, I want you to underline that because this is where we get the Hebrew name of God, El Shaddai. <clears throat> I want you to look at it and underline it. Write it in your Bible. 
Even the Lord hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun and the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not, shall not keep silence. This is important. We'll get to that in a moment. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. <clears throat> Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself." Selah. Now look at that. Underline that word. Because here at the end of verse 6, we find a word that we often see in the Psalms. Now, sometimes we word things like this in our church, and I have a great way of opening our service. Somebody say amen. Do you know what the word amen means? It means so be it. Carry on. Press on. Sometimes you've read the word amen. There may be somebody in here today that has no idea what that word means. You've been saying it all your life. You have no idea. Then you've been reading the word of God, and you come across a word like this, selah, and it doesn't phase you. You just read it. Go on to the next verse. But there may be some people in here today that doesn't know what the word selah means. It's in the word of God. It's something that we should know. Just like Aspa is a writer of the Psalms, we should know. The word sila means this, to stop and to pause and to meditate. Whenever you read, particularly in the Psalms, and you come across the word sila, the Holy Spirit designed the word at this point and phase of your reading. That when you come, it's just like this, when Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, we talked about this last week a little bit, when he uses those words in double excerpts, he says this, listen, pay attention, perk up. There's something I've got to say to you. It's very important, not to minimize or say that all of the scripture is not important, but whenever you hear Jesus say, verily, verily, listen, something's going to happen. We talked a little bit Wednesday night in our Bible study, just like when he said, Simon, Simon. When, when there's a double emphasis in the word, there's, it's something very important for us to see and very important for us to understand, not to minimize any of it because it's all profitable, the Scripture says. But when you come across this word, selah, it means, listen, stop. If you're reading a devotional, stop. The Holy Spirit is saying, stop pause and meditate on what you have just read. That's what this means. It's not a good thing to simply have a speed word habit with the Scripture. I mean, if you're just going to read just to say, I read it, that's really not going to profit your journey. You really need to take time and walk. Sometimes you just need to read and be still. But read, and when you get to this part, Selah, stop and meditate. The Holy Spirit put that there for a reason, allowed it to be in the Word for a reason. And so the first scene that we see in this passage is we see the entrance of the great judge. He comes into the midst in Psalms 50. And it is here that we find the great Hebrew word. Now, that's why I've given you, this is important today. This will change your prayer life. Stay with me. 
The first one on here today is El Shaddai. And in Psalms 50, we come across these three important words. Great, mighty God. That is the Hebrew word El Shaddai for the great, mighty God. Now, I want you to look at this. This is the meaning of El Shaddai. I want you to go back to Genesis with me in chapter 17 and look at verse number one. You're going to learn some things about the Bible today you've never thought about. Maybe you've never heard. Genesis 17, verse number one. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, look at this, here it is. El Shaddai. He said, I am the almighty God. I, he appeared to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I am El Shaddai. I am the great and mighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And so the Hebrew phrase for almighty God is El Shaddai. I'm giving you a Hebrew lesson today. This name for God means all-powerful. He is omnipotent, all-sufficient. Now, if God is, is El Shaddai, if he is all-powerful, if he is all-sufficient, then here is the thing. Whatever he has said... There is nothing any greater than what he has said, and what he has said, he is the keeper of what he said. He can fulfill every single thing that he has said. There's nothing any greater than him. So he can keep it, he can fulfill it. Now, we have to remind ourselves about this from time to time, and I want to show you exactly what I'm talking about because there are seasons in our life when we doubt God. In fact, in the very beginning of Scripture, Satan came along to Adam and Eve and made them doubt what God said. Hath God said? Hath God not said? And he begins to put doubt into the human heart. And let me tell you this, if he started with the very first Adam and Eve, our first parents, so to speak, in the Scriptures, God's first human creation. If, if he started with the first, he will keep going until he thinks he has reached the last. You and I are no match for him. The Word says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so there are times when we're going to doubt what God said. We are going to doubt El Shaddai, the mighty God. We're going to doubt the one who is omnipotent. We're going to doubt the one that is all-sufficient. We're going to doubt the one that's the keeper of his word. Let me show you what I mean. Abraham, he, he wondered in a particular season of his life, Abraham doubted, and Abraham wondered he wondered if God was really going to fulfill his promise and give him a son. There was a season when he wondered, but God was teaching Abraham that he had to unconditionally trust him. 
No matter how long it takes, Abraham, you've got to trust me. And we've got to learn this lesson. Think about it. Let me ask you the question. Has there ever been one single time in your life that God has ever failed you? Has he ever lied to you? Titus teaches us that it is impossible for God to lie. And so Abraham decided that he was going to do that no matter what. He was going to trust God no matter what. In fact, Romans 4 speaks of this, and I want you to see this in Paul's writing in verse 20 and 21 pertaining to Abraham. The word said, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised. Now, there was some tension between Sarah and Hagar, you know the story there. You can, you can get a lot of this application by going back and rereading that and refresh your hearts in that story. But what God had spoken, what God had declared, even though in Abraham's mind God was taking a whole lot longer to get to the promise, God has never reneged on his word. And being fully persuaded in verse 21 that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform it. Number two this morning, we need to remind ourselves often of who God is. In Psalms 50, verse number one, we're talking about El Shaddai, the mighty God. That's the Hebrew word or term for El Shaddai, the mighty God. Even the Lord hath spoken and God or and called the earth from the rising of the sun until the going down thereof. Now, here's where your paper's going to come in, and this is where it's going to perhaps change your prayer life just for a moment. Because when you begin your prayer, you think about this. What if, how do you start your prayer in the morning? I, I have told you this a hundred times. Before my feet hit the floor, I am praying to God. I'm thanking the Lord God for the safety through the night. I thanked him for the fact that I did not uh, have any complications in the night and that I, I can wake up and I can recognize him and I can praise him, I can worship him, I can thank him, and I go through some things that I just spend the time with not only God the Father, Yahweh, but I spend time talking to the Son of God, the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Prince of peace. And I spend time thanking the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, and the great one who inspires us, who convicts us, the great intercessor. I, I, you say, preach, you do that every day. Every day I can, I can have recollection of I start my, before my feet hit the floor, that's what I do. But think about this. How do you start your prayers? We have, I think we, we sometimes live so shallow in our spiritual lives. One, because we really don't know how to pray. And those disciples were in the same boat. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. But think about this. Psalms 50, verse number one, is a beautiful way to start your prayer day off with God. I mean, to begin a conversation with him, because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in the time of prayer with just the spirit of laziness. Just, uh, I mean, if, and here's the thing, 
if you don't pray often and you just hear me pray or you hear one of the other men in the church pray, if you're not careful and you don't learn how to develop your prayer life, you're going to find yourself in a rut and what you're going to be praying is the same thing I'm praying. Or the same thing, somebody, we're going to find ourselves praying the same prayers that other people pray. And if we're not careful, listen now, it can easy, we can easily get into a place where we skip his holiness. We, we can go over that so quickly and we can forget his omnipotence and all of his greatness. We can come into a prayer time where we forget that he is El Shaddai, the mighty God. I wonder if there are times that we really believe that God has the power to do the things we're asking him to do because our life is complicated. And there are, as I said a few minutes ago, there are a lot of ups and downs. And if, if we are just looking at God as if he was some kind of magic genie that washed up on the shore. And when we get into a 911 situation of our life, we're going to stroke God a little bit and say, okay, God, I need this done right now. I need it done yesterday. God, in Jesus' name, do it. We can approach our prayer life and just skip the fact of his holiness. We can skip the fact that he's omnipotent we can rush into this thing and we can miss it all together. And, and do I, I wonder sometimes, do we really believe that God is El Shaddai, that he is capable of doing everything exceedingly and above everything that we ask him to do? Sometimes we may settle for prayers that just simply resemble nursery rhymes. I wonder what would happen in our lives if we latched on to the greatness of God that Aspa was very familiar with. I mean, what would happen if we began our prayers by acknowledging God's divine attributes? Look at this just for a moment. Because I want to ask you, how's your prayer life going? Oh, preacher, my life is so complicated and my life is so busy, I really don't have time for this. And by the time I go through the stress and turmoil and, uh, and all the aggravation and everything I go through, I'm, I'm getting lunches packed. I'm trying to get myself ready. I'm trying to get those kids to the bus stop. I'm trying to get to work on time. I've got all this commotion going on in the house, and then I've got to do all of this. I've got to go to work when I get home. I've got to wash the clothes. I've got to cook the supper. I've got to do all this stuff that some of your husbands ought to be helping you with. And then you get into all of this stuff. At the end of the day, you're saying, I'm just too exhausted. I cannot do this. And you just fall asleep sitting on the couch in the easy chair. And you don't have time for God. But let me ask you this. What would happen if you change your prayer life? You say, what are you talking about? These are some of the personal names of God. I have given you this morning some personal attributes of God. This is not all of them. In these moments that I have here on this morning, this is only a handful of things that I can give you today. But how, how would it be? Now listen, you can pray in all kinds of circumstances. You can pray sitting in the pew right here. You can pray when you're driving down uh, the powhat tollway. You can, when you put money in the, in the little thing that you can pray then. 
You can pray in any circumstance. You can pray standing up. You can also pray on your knees. You can close your eyes. You can pray with your eyes open. Listen, there's no remedy for that. But think about this. If you were to set some time aside and you find yourselves in the stress of life and you got to the place where you came before the Almighty God, you came before El Shaddai, and you begin to call upon his omnipotence and his power and his greatness. Look at this. Because there are many names. Listen now, you need God's greatness in your life. You need his might and his power and his omnipotence. Speak to El Shaddai because that's who he is. And then notice this, Elohim. Another Hebrew name is Elohim. That means the great creator. Adonai, that simply means Lord. You say, preacher, how am I going to remember all this stuff? Yeah, I don't expect you to. But you know what I would do? You remember when I gave you the simple card and I asked you to laminate it. It had God's simple plan of salvation on it. And then it had the sinner's prayer on the back of it. And I asked you to laminate it, put it in your Bible and use it from time to time. This would be an excellent secondary application for you to do that and stick it in your Bible and learn how to pray. Because look at this. Jehovah Jireh. Do you know what that means in the Old Testament? That means the Lord will provide. And I will tell you this. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging for bread. And the word said that he would supply all of our need according to his riches and glory. So he is Jehovah Jireh. He can supply. Look at this. He is Elohim. He is the Lord God. He is El Alon. He is the Most High. He is the El Om, everlasting God. He is Jehovah Rapha. Listen, some of you in here today need to call out the name Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. Some of you today have got things going on in your physical body that you need a supernatural touch from God. You call out today to Jehovah Rapha and you ask him to touch your body. Now, will he do that? I don't know. But can he do that? Yes, he can. Now, look on the back. When we cry, Abba, Father, that means, Lord, I need to feel you today in the realms of a godly father. I need you to love on me today, Abba, Father. Look at this. He is the Alpha and the Omega. That means I need the circumstances that's going on in my life today. God, I need you to push them back. And so when you begin to pray, Abba, Father, I know you are the Alpha and the Omega. I know you are El Shaddai. Now listen, if you start incorporating some of this into your prayer life, think about that just for a minute. You are the beginning and the end. No one can compare to you. No one will ever be any higher than you. And just get out of this repetitious stuff. Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. Or, or Lord, thank you for this food today. Listen, get from these simple things. And, and I'm not minimizing that. I don't expect you to learn Hebrew this morning, but I'm telling you this. God is more than repetitious prayers. Come into his presence. Come before his presence with singing and praise and thanksgiving and testimony and lift him up because he is the mighty God. He is El Shaddai. Well, I didn't think this was going to be evangelistic, but it surely is. 
Think about all the possibilities that could radically affect the outcome of our prayer life if we would simply change the way that we started out our prayers. Listen to this very carefully. I mean, if we took a different approach in the first line of our prayer, then there's a good chance that the second line would be dramatically different as well. Think about that. Aspa, he figured this out. Number three, quickly, we need to remind ourselves often that El Shaddai, the great and mighty God, listen now, he has chosen, he's chosen to reveal himself to us. And I'm thankful that he's chosen to reveal himself in a way that we desperately need to see him. But listen, not only see him, but to know him. In Jeremiah chapter 24, verse number 7, the prophet writes like this, and I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And in Psalms 9, verse number 10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. And so let this bless you today. The reason that there's so many different types of names for God. In fact, Jehovah is his personal name. Elohim is like his title. The reason that there are so many different names of God in the scriptures is because God knows that we have so many different needs of him. He wants us to be assured that whatever we need, he is. And number four, and I want to ask our musicians to come forward. And I'm not going to have time to develop this whole chapter because there are, there are certain chapters, five more, that I'm going to expound upon in these next upcoming weeks. But these are some nuggets that just leaped off the pages to me. Don't ever, listen carefully now, don't ever misinterpret the silence of El Shaddai. In Psalms 50, verse 3, the word says, Our God shall come. And shall, look at this, and not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. And so, listen, what does the silence of God say? What does the silence of God demonstrate? Have you ever prayed for something and God hadn't... He hasn't immediately signaled the angels, moved the Holy Spirit, spoken to friends and family. You've prayed about something, and God, you just felt, had forsaken you, had abandoned you. There may be somebody in here today that's been praying for something for 40 years. 
Maybe you've been praying about something for 25 years. And you're wondering, where is God? And you, you say, well, preacher, I, I remember you saying that he promised never to leave us nor forsake us. But where is he? Now I want you to think about something because the silence of God does not testify of the fact that he doesn't love you. The silence of God doesn't testify that he doesn't have time for you. The silence of God, if you don't get anything in the message today, get this. The silence of God screams of his patience. Patience is something we don't have. And I doubt very seriously there's anybody praying for patience because you know tribulation worketh patience. So how many is begging God for tribulation? You say, I got a truckload of that stuff going on right now. But the silence of God screams for his patience. There's not a person here this morning who should not be thankful for the patience of God, for his long suffering, for him taking time with us, for his mercy, for the time that he allows us to make the necessary changes in our life. Aren't you glad that we mess, when we mess up, God doesn't say, boom, 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 strike him dead. Oh, man. Don't ever think that because God is silent that he really doesn't care about us. It's sort of like this. Don't, don't ever get stagnant with that thought because if you misinterpret God's patience, then you may, in the process of time, convince yourself that he, then he really doesn't care about the sin in my life. The things that are, God's really too busy for that. God doesn't care about the sin in my life. Don't ever let the devil make you think that. You, you might say, yeah, I know this is wrong and I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't think it. I shouldn't do it. But if it was really wrong, then God would have done something about it a long time ago. If we're not careful... We can become so callous to sin that we can compare it to this. We're driving down the road. We got our minds thinking about this, that, and the other. Maybe you got a good gospel tape on. I don't know. You're not paying attention. And so you're driving past the speed limit. And I mean, you're just cruising along. Maybe it's just five minutes over the speed limit. Can you remember the time when you saw a police officer on the side of the road and you were going five miles over the speed limit, going just a little too fast, and then your heart, I mean, hit the floor? You're speeding, you know it, and then you begin to pray in Jesus' name. Don't let me get a ticket, God. Help me. Distract that man. Do not let him pull me over. And your heart sank to the floor. Listen, those were the days 
when we were just driving five miles over, those were the days, man, we'd start pumping the brakes. Our taillights looked like Christmas lights flashing. You, you, you remember that? It's five miles over. But then maybe, maybe you got so used to be bopping down the road, you saw the cop on the side of the road, and you're saying, man, it's just five miles. And we begin to cruise and cruise and cruise, and then we get to a place where we no longer bump the brakes because we think it's not a big deal. But listen carefully. We convince ourselves that the speed limit is really not what the sign says, but it's really what he pulls us over for. Sometimes I think we treat God like that, that we convince ourselves that what he said is not the absolute truth. And we get out on life's road, and we're just doing this and doing that, and we know good and well that's not what God would have. We're just cruising down the road, and maybe at first in our life we start bumping the brakes. But then because there was some silence of God, God didn't lower the boom on us. But we, we got so content, we didn't feel necessary to pump the brakes with God anymore. But here's the thing. Aspa, he helps us to see in the word. Don't take God's silence for granted because there is coming a time in his long suffering and his mercy. The great judge will speak. Nothing will ever get by him. There will come a day when El Shaddai will call everything into his courtroom and he will be fair and righteous. I close with this scripture, Psalms 9, verse 8. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. There's a lot to see in Psalms 50. I pray when you go out the door today, you would have learned something about God's Word you did not know before. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. All of it is here for a reason. Now, I pray that we'll not pick and choose what's important and what we feel is not. It's all good, and it's all true. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.